This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From the Cold, Season 1, Episode 12. Tanya couldn't shake the restlessness that she'd felt since she delivered Andula safely into the ice's care. Usually, when a mission was complete, she slipped into an easy state of bliss. Everything was a little sunnier, a little softer, gold-tinted in her eyes. This assignment, though, carried the pinch of a chore left undone. But she'd done everything. She found a host, rescued that host from the flame, even if it had been closer than she'd liked, and gotten her safely into ice custody. What was left? True, there had been complications. A good Russian euphemism, like a scrap of gauze over a gaping wound. That rogue witch or whatever Alistair was considering him, stalking her over half of Prague. Gabriel, the American, the other Spion. Tanya watched him now, from the far side of the French embassy's great hall. He was laughing with his other spy friend, the young one, without the slightest whiff of concern. Winthrop swore he was on the up and up, and that even if he wouldn't join the ice in their efforts, He'd at least try not to actively sabotage them. But they'd said the same of that Reams woman, and she'd caused more than a few complications herself. Tanya didn't like to leave things unfinished. Loose ends had a way of unraveling further and tangling up into a noose. Maybe Andela was safe for now, but she couldn't risk Gabe interfering with the next host they encountered, or deciding he himself was better off casting his lot in with the flame. American or not, CIA or not, the world of magic was too dangerous to leave open. The damage he could cause, too great. She needed to make him understand. Thank God, Gabe said, draining what Josh estimated to be his third or fourth glass of champagne. I thought I'd never get the taste of Savetska Champanska out of my mouth, You know, they make mouthwash for that, Josh said. But Josh already knew what Gabe was going to say. In communist Czechoslovakia, vodka tastes like mouthwash, and mouthwash tastes like vodka. Josh knew this less from an eerie sense of deja vu, and more from a certainty that they had had this exact conversation before. That was the problem, 
he was finding with these embassy parties. There was an impossibly narrow band of safe topics along the spectrum that comprised Joshua Toms. He had to keep threading the same needle over and over. Sometimes, though, it couldn't be helped. No matter who might be listening, Josh had to shed his character for the sake of the team. Like when he caught Tatiana Morozova glancing their way a second time. The second time he'd noticed, anyway. So, Josh said, drawing the vowel out while he shuffled to place himself between Tanya and Gabe. What's the word with that Ruski broad? From the lecture? Gabe's knuckles went white around the stem of his empty champagne flute. He brought it to his lips and tried to take a swig, but there was nothing left to chug. Was Gabe afraid? Embarrassed? Whatever emotion was now etching itself into Gabe's too blank face, it wasn't the reaction Josh had been hoping for. He tried to shrug away the doubt Frank had draped around him like a shroud. If there was anything between Gabe and a KGB agent, Josh's mind spun, whirling around and around on that thought with unstoppable force. It didn't matter what it was. Sex, espionage, even a shared love of Spartak hockey. It would only end badly for Gabe. Josh had to be wrong. Please, God, let me be wrong. Which one? Gabe asked, lowering the glass. The frosty-looking blonde or the brunette who looks like she could punch your lights out? Josh forced himself to smile. Gabe was indulging him. That had to be a good sign, right? If he really, really didn't want to throw a spotlight on his relationship with the Kajay Besnik, he would have evaded the conversation. Unless he was all too aware of how conspicuous such avoidance would be, and was compensating. The blonde. I could swear she's making eyes at you. Josh made his grin wider. It came a little easier. Maybe you could play her. Let her think she's honeypotting you? She's not so bad looking, right? Right, Gabe wheezed out a laugh. Thanks, Toms, but I'm not quite desperate enough to start taking your advice on the ladies. Josh laughed too, because he wanted to be able to laugh with Gabe again. He hoped it didn't sound too hysterical. Gabe slung his arm around Josh's shoulder. Josh noticed a smell clinging to him. Not alcohol, which he would have expected. It was sharp, a little metallic, like rust or, or blood. Josh didn't want to consider that possibility. Let me give you a freebie, Toms. See that fellow over there? Gabe gestured through the curtained doorway that led to the gentleman's lounge, thick with cigar smoke and the scent of cognac. The German in the cheap suit. Cheap to you, maybe. Josh grinned and fingered the nap of his corduroy blazer, which was looking a bit worn despite his best efforts. Gabe nudged him and clung tighter. He works a lot of business ventures in Berlin, east of the wall. Manages to play nice with both the DDR and the Stasi enough that they look the other way. Sounds like a fun guy. And, Gabe added, leaning forward with more emphasis than he would if he were sober. I hear he loves nothing more than to blather away about musty old German tomes. 
Now who's trying to play matchmaker? Josh nudged Gabe in the ribs. Really, though, I've got my hands full with the new friend you introduced me to. You sure you don't want this one? Might give you a slam dunk. Might put you back in Frank's good graces, Josh added silently, and hoped Gabe wasn't so drunk that he didn't pick up on the implication, too. Psh, I'll be fine. I've got some long-term plans I'm developing. This one has you written all over it. Josh stepped forward, just enough to make Gabe's arm fall away from him. Then he spun on Gabe, looked him over. His coworker? His friend? Could he still lay claim to that, with the uneasy tension sliding between them so much these days? Their third wheel? Gabe smiled at him. Sloppy, but genuine, crinkling the corners of his eyes. Surely they could mend whatever this rift was. Gabe's dry spell, his off year, his slump. Josh hadn't been in the business long enough to hit his yet, but he'd heard they were always looming. No way to avoid it entirely. He hoped that when his came, he could plow through it, same as Gabe. Thanks, you're a real pal. He clapped Gabe on the shoulder, then began to ease his way toward the boys' club. A dozen possible opening lines shuffled through his mind. The game was on. Four. Gabe staggered forward the moment Josh left his side. Shit. He needed to. Damn it, no. He did not need another drink. He was already feeling wobbly after skipping lunch. The hitchhiker, which had been strumming at elemental chords for most of the day, was now returning to its old state of maniacal hammering, pounding at his head. Josh had said Tanya was watching him, which was about the last thing he needed. And there were no signs of Alistair, which was the first thing he needed. Alcohol-sharpened anger flashed through Gabe. Alistair and his dumb face, just begging for Gabe's fist. His fingers curled reflexively. He dug his knuckles into his thigh. He'd rather claw his own skin off than spend another fucking minute in the French embassy with all these stupid fucking people. Like worrying about the KGB wasn't enough to keep him stressed out and paranoid. Like that blonde witch bitch wasn't 12 different kinds of bad news. Now he had a whole set of magic-related problems to worry about, distracting him from his real job. The drafty embassy was barely warmer than the winter night beyond the glass windows, but sweat made a waterfall down Gabe's back as he wove through the crowd. He was done. He was just done with everything. His headache turned sharp, like the hitchhiker already knew what he was thinking. Hell, maybe it did, but it didn't matter. To hell with magic, to hell with how useful it might prove. Gabe was going to find a way to tear it out. He barely remembered to smile widely at the French agricultural secretary, toss out his customary, how are you, as he ambled past in search of a remote bathroom. Flicked at the lock, fumbled with his trousers, aimed for the toilet. Deep breaths, Pritchard. Get through tonight, then figure out what needs to be done. 
He washed his hands in the scalloped basin, then ducked his head down and washed his face, too. Tried to get the splotchy red to even out. He straightened and reached for the towel, but someone was already handing it to him. Jesus fucking Christ! Gabe leapt up so hard, he smacked his head on the angled ceiling of the half bath. Tanya Morozova stared back at him in the mirror, trying to conceal a faint smile. Gabe whirled around toward her, his first instinct to reach for her throat, before he thought better of it. He was sober enough to realize he didn't want to start an international incident, at least. How long have you been standing there? Tanya thrust her shoulders back, trying to look taller than her modest height. Her dark blonde hair was pulled back in the kind of sleek bun even Bolshoi ballerinas would envy. It added a certain severity to her expression, not that she needed the help. We need to talk about the ice, Gabriel. Here? Gabe snatched the towel out of her hand, felt a little better when she flinched. Right now? No one followed either of us. So yes, I do think this is the safest place for it. Sorry, honey, you and the ice had your chance. He reached for the door handle, but she caught his wrist first. Gabe ripped his hand back. It came out of her grip easily, but already she'd swung her other hand up toward her face, palm flat, as if to block from a follow-up blow. Gabe laughed in spite of himself. She had asked for a talk, but clearly she expected a fight. Okay, Kanji Besnik. Gabe leaned back against the sink and crossed his arms. Let's see what your game is. The hitchhiker was no longer hammering in his head. If anything, it seemed soothed by Tanya's presence, as if it were in harmony with whatever elements were closest to them right now. Figured that it'd be a filthy traitor that way. I understand why it is difficult for you to speak to me, Tanya said. Oh, I'm not sure you do. I do not know what was done to you, but Winthrop has explained some of your situation to me. I know you didn't ask to be a part of this world, this, this other war. She canted her head to one side, an oddly delicate move. But it had to be calculated. Gabe didn't think the KGB ever did anything that wasn't scripted from the start. No, Gabe said, trying to keep his voice low, though he suspected he wasn't doing a good job of it. I didn't. Tanya winced and kept her eyes closed for a few seconds, perhaps searching not just for the right words, but the right English ones. But Alistair seems to think that you... How often are you talking to Alistair anyway? Gabe asked. It's incredibly stupid, for both of you. When it comes to magic, it does not matter. Tanya's voice was tense, quiet, but forceful, like pressing her thumb over a hose. I do not care. East, west, none of that will matter if the flame is allowed to succeed. The alcohol was clarifying in Gabriel's veins, distilling into pure anger. Sorry, doll. He bowed forward until his eyes were level with hers. You're barking up the wrong tree. You say it doesn't matter, he grinned. But I've heard that pitch before. 
Something elemental crackled in the air, pulling the hitchhiker out of its brief lull. Gabe hadn't seen Morozova reach for a charm or any other magical item to activate. Was it coming from her or somewhere else? You don't understand what the flame is capable of, what they intend to do. Don't care, Gabe snapped. Tanya's ivory cheeks flushed pink. Their plans? They make fools of us. All are silly little games, passing codes and numbers and secrets around. The danger the flame poses makes them look like nothing, crumbles it all to ash. Doesn't look like nothing to me. To the Czech people your tanks rolled over? Or the millions of Russians your own leaders put into the ground? Millions? Tanya cried. The flame will kill billions, Gabriel. The fascists could only dream of the power the flame is trying to grasp. They want to elevate all those they deem worthy of magic and its nuances and all the rest. Gabriel had had enough. His anger ballooned out of him, honing the edges of every element he could sense into a fine blade. The bathroom, tucked beneath a staircase, seemed to shrink. Or maybe he was growing. He planted his forearms against either wall as he lunged toward Tanya. She stumbled backward and landed on the closed toilet seat. Was she afraid of him? Was that fear, finally, in that softness of her party-stoic face? Good. He relished it. Maybe fear was elemental, too. Sweeter even than French champagne and bubbling just as steadily under his skin. Gabe's grin was a creature all its own. You deliver these grand speeches about what monsters the flame are, as if you're not their goddamn twin. He bent down, casting a shadow over her wide eyes. But I've seen the consortium of ice for what it really is. Ice, flame, it's all the fucking same. What are you talking about? Tanya whispered. Her voice trembled so much she might have even meant it. Your little love boat on the Voltava. Don't think I haven't seen it. Tanya's eyebrows wrenched upward. What about it? She was good. He'd grant her that. Gabe should try to recruit a KGB instructor someday. Teach Prague Station a few tricks. It's for rituals. All the spell components we required to perform massive rituals along the ley line. You did not ask Alistair about it? Part of our fight against the flame. Gabe bashed one fist against the wall, no longer caring who heard. What the hell kind of spell requires so many frozen bodies? Tanya's lips popped open. She made one tiny sound before her voice dried out. The rosy tint to her face was fading fast. Her lower lip quivered as she worked her jaw. She didn't know. She really hadn't known. There are dozens of them. Frozen. I couldn't tell if they were dead or alive, but the ice holding them? It wasn't natural. You're lying, Tanya managed. Why the hell would I lie about this? There must be a dozen of them. Locked up in a chunk of ice like some kind of witchsicle. Trapped in some kind of stasis or something. I don't even know. But that's... 
Tanya's knees came up to her chin as she curled into a ball. That doesn't make sense. Why would they? What, you're going to pretend you didn't know? God, you people are so sick. Gabe dragged one hand to his face and wiped away the sheen of sweat that clung to it. Is that why you're giving me the hard pitch? Do you want to lock me up too? Shove me in a freezer, figure out what kind of botched spell work made me into what I am before you take me out for good? What you are? Tanya echoed back, her tone watery as if she couldn't parse out the English phrase. Then she shook her head, freeing wisps of hair. No, you are lying. There is no reason. We have no need. Gabe laughed, loose and ragged, as if something was tearing out of him. Not the hitchhiker, unfortunately. His grip on reality, maybe. The last shred of hope that maybe he could learn to live with this curse. You didn't even know. Of course you didn't. Ice couldn't trust you with this knowledge. <laughs> and I bet you thought you were something special to them. Tanya's eyes flashed with pure hatred now. You do not know what you are talking about. She lurched up from the toilet. You are a fool, and it will get you killed, Gabriel. Gabe shook his head. Ice, flame, it's all the same. You can keep your goddamn magic. Just like your dear leaders and their show of making a world for all the workers, isn't it? Give anyone a sliver of power and they'll find a way to abuse it. Tanya thrust the heels of both her hands square into Gabe's gut, just beneath his sternum. The air whooshed out of him all at once, briefly, mercifully, catching him off guard long enough that it rattled even the hitchhiker. Then she stormed out of the bathroom and was swallowed up by the droning chatter of the embassy. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Five. Jordan Reams tipped the boiling pot forward. Her shoulders eased at the familiar hiss of hot liquid hitting the tempered glass. She watched the caramel-colored broth swirl around the assorted herbs and filings in the glass flask, waiting until they reached just the right consistency before pulling the pot back. Counted backward to ten. Then opened herself to the currents of the ley lines. One-woman rituals were a hell of a lot more powerful when you had the convergence of two powerful ley lines at your disposal. Once her chant was finished, a graceful twist of Aramaic and Coptic with a few Egyptian flourishes, she shoved a cork stopper into the flask and returned to the main bar. Freshly empowered, she told the man waiting at the counter, you'll use it in the next five hours? I, um... He retreated into the upturned collar of his coat. Jordan held out a palm. You know what? Don't answer. Just use it in the next five hours. She winked. And thanks for watching the bar. Of course, of course. The man picked up his glass, although it was empty. Jordan noted the weathered envelope tucked beneath the coaster and slipped both smoothly behind the bar. Thank you again, Miss Reams. Any time, Pavel. As Pavel tucked the flask into his coat pocket, Jordan scanned the bar. Late afternoon was always a comfortable slowness. Just enough customers to keep her busy, but not so many she felt rushed. Some Slovak witches who liked to order shots while they bitched about the Russians cutting them off from their suppliers. A trio of men who whispered together in German, talking equally as often about shady business deals as fishing trips, and the usual parade of spies who didn't think she'd pegged them as spies. Then Jordan spotted the two men sitting at a foretop, drinking nothing, saying nothing. The foremost of them wore a tweed coat with leather patches at the elbows, and he had his hands laced together on the table as he stared into the middle distance. Everything about him was angled, precise. His combed hair, his fine nose his faint smile so unwavering it might have been his stock expression. The man beside him, shorter, rounder, arms wrapped around a leather satchel, looked considerably more vexed, though he too said nothing and never once glanced toward his companion. She tried to catch their eyes, but neither looked her way. That should have been her first warning. 
Are you gentlemen ready to order? She asked, loudly enough to cut in on other conversations around her. Jordan wanted eyes on her and on these men. Witnesses, just in case. Ah, hello, Miss Rames. The taller, particular one looked up at her without moving his head. Please, allow me to introduce myself. I'm Karel Hasek, professor of medieval European history and sociology. And this is my associate, Vladimir. Jordan cut her eyes to Vladimir for a brief, forced nod before turning back to Karel. I see. Yes, I am confident that you do. This is quite a fascinating piece of land that you have, Miss Reims. But I am certain you know this already. Jordan straightened, hoping the movement distracted them from the hand she slipped into her pocket. It's been in my family for some time. That isn't the only thing that has been in your family for some time, Carell said. The words glinted like a knife between them. Jordan fought against her instinct to take a step back, to put space between her and this man who was undoubtedly some sort of witch or another. If he knew about her family's history in ice, then he probably knew that she wasn't exactly well-liked in the consortium. But then, he might not be ice at all, but something else entirely. She liked that possibility even less. There was a book in the library at our university. Carell pulled a handkerchief from his breast pocket and began wiping his glasses. In the special collections, only serious scholars were permitted to view it. Doctoral candidates, whose theses directly related to the subject matter. A wonderful book. I've written a few papers on it myself, and written other things using it besides. Jordan knew what kind of books they kept in Prague libraries, away from anyone who might use them for harm. Emperor Rudolf, in particular, had liked collecting grimoires and the witches who used them. Ice didn't much care for leaving that kind of knowledge where anyone could find it. But this is not in keeping with the spirit of global communism now, is it? Knowledge for all, power for all. Doesn't matter whether the party really means their bullshit, and let's be honest with each other, we all know they don't. Yet, Marx and Engels had one bright idea. Carell replaced his glasses, then turned toward Jordan with his whole body. His eyes were light gray, the leached away fog of February mornings and thick ice. Resources, he said mildly, are meant to be shared. Jordan glanced back to the empty tables. She'd have felt a lot better if Pavel were still around. The tavern was too wide suddenly, too hollow. Not nearly enough patrons. She clenched the chunk of stone tight in her pocket. Sharing, Jordan repeated. I was never very good at that. Carell's smile was even colder than his stare. Yes, so I understand. But you must know these little charms, these brews, these solitary rituals, isn't it just a waste? I'm sure it keeps you in business, barely. He peered over the edge of his glasses at the dim bar, the tufts of dust she knew gathered in the corners. But imagine what could be done with it in others' hands. 
The Vodnar isn't for sale. Jordan tried to keep her tone as sturdy as the rock she was clutching. Oh, no, I don't imagine it is. But surely there are other arrangements we could come to. Jordan swallowed. I doubt that. Think about it. Carell stood up. A moment later, Vladimir joined him, still clutching the satchel to his chest. There must be something you want, Miss Reams. You'll know how to find me when you decide what. Jordan watched them leave with her heart in her throat. She'd assumed they were Flame, but Flame didn't give up so easily, she thought. It was hours later that she realized she hadn't even considered what might have been in the bag. You're listening to The Witch You Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Kao. Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like The Witch Who Came In From The Cold by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.